Hi, my name is Paul Adhox, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the first episode of Adhox Half Hour, a periodic podcast about procurement, supply chains, and making money mean more in this crazy, mixed-up world we all live in. I've been working in procurement and supply chain management for over 20 years, and I've seen a few changes in that time. I like to cast my eye around the world of buying and how things are bought. So, I'm going to pick out a few of the happenings that have caught my eye over this past week. Brexit. (laughs) Feel the energy leave the room. Those of you counting down to the end of the UK's transition period as it shuffles out of the EU will know that, as I speak, we have 139 days left to go. I found myself fairly ambivalent to the Brexit debate. Red tape creates barriers to trade and my opinion was that having ready-made agreements with your neighbours reduces the layers of administration needed to buy things. However, since the country has decided to make things more complicated and to replicate much of what already existed, that does mean supply chain professionals will find themselves with plenty of work to do over the next few decades. As such, many people will find themselves worse off, but I know people like me will not be short of job offers. Keep on counting those days. Purchasing processes. This story comes from The Times. Health officials signed a £252 million contract to buy face masks for frontline healthcare staff from Ianda Capital back in April of this year, in a deal brokered by a government advisor who also advises the company's board. These masks turned out to be completely unusable. Ianda is run by Tim Horlick, a former investment banker, and it's owned by the uh, Horlick family via a holding company which is registered in a tax haven. The investment company blamed the government for problems with the masks, saying that Ianda had only ever suggested supplying masks with ear loops and insisted that this had been approved by government officials before the contract was signed. Mr Horlick said that at a late stage in the contract, the government asked to switch the small number of FFP2 masks, not then delivered, to headbands from the earlier loop design and that they were working with the Department of Health and Social Care to try and assist them with this this matter. The government's admission that tens of millions of masks were unusable came only in response to a legal case brought by the Good Law Project, which is seeking a judicial review of the process by which three PPE contracts were awarded at the height of the C-19 pandemic. The contracts included 50 million high-strength FFP2 medical masks costing an estimated £150 million to about £180 million and amounting to the entire health system's expected consumption for a year, as well as another £150 million lower-spec fluid-resistant masks. Officials have admitted that the 43.5 million Chinese-made FFP2 masks delivered so far did not meet standards and could not be used in the NHS. The masks have an elastic ear loop instead of a strap that ties around the back of the head, and this leads to concerns that they cannot be fixed securely, hence their unsuitability. This is just poor. Poor and very basic. In the rush to get orders out the door, the most rudimentary steps needed to have been taken to nail down what was needed and what it would be used for. When relationships with suppliers are wafer thin, communication crumbles so easily, and simple errors fall through the cracks inexcusable sloppiness from all involved. (music) 
This next story concerns transparency and is lifted from The Guardian. A PR firm that masterminded two widely criticised Tory party election campaign stunts has been handed a £3 million contract by the government without a competitive tender, according to reports. Topham Gurin, which specialise in producing images and videos for social media, was given the deal to work on coronavirus public health messaging shortly before the UK lockdown began in March. Uh, an investigation by The Guardian and Open Democracy has revealed these facts. Under emergency COVID-19 regulations that allow the government to ditch usual competitive tendering practices, no tender was conducted to allow other companies the opportunity to bid for the work. While the current contract runs now until the 16th of September this year, it's understood that the Cabinet Office is already negotiating with them to send more work their way. A lot of public sector buying is bogged down in notoriously slow processes, but that's because it's other people's money that's being spent. It needs to be scrutinised and decisions need to be transparent. When this doesn't happen, it is a failure. It is a failure when those in positions of responsibility cannot demonstrate how value for money is being achieved. Give money to your mates if you must, but show you're working out. Show why they deserve it. Next one is about supply chains and is from Sky News. Food security is defined by the UN as a lack of physical and economic access to sufficient and nutritious food. An Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Committee report warned that food insecurity is likely to get worse before it gets better because of risks including a second wave of coronavirus cases, as well as potential disruption and delays to the food supply system as a result of a disorderly Brexit. The report also highlighted issues with the voucher scheme for free school meals that had been made available. Initially, the vouchers could be used at supermarkets like Waitrose and Marks and & Spencer, but not budget retailers like Aldi or Lidl, which the report said was out of touch with the reality of where families were more likely to shop. Around 4.9 million adults and 1.7 million children are currently facing food insecurity in the UK. A government spokesperson said that their COVID-19 task force had brought together expertise across government to tackle these extraordinary circumstances from this pandemic and ensure that the most vulnerable in our society would be protected. Unexpected viral outbreaks are one thing. A disorderly Brexit? For something that has been so long in the planning, any sort of disorganisation is just neglectful. I think there's been a lot of assumptions made about how easy it will be to get things from one part of the globe to this part of the globe without the infrastructure and legal framework that's been built up over the last four decades. You might not think it's important to keep having strawberries in winter, but general weakness in the supply chains clearly exists, and it will unfortunately be felt keenly by consumers particularly those that can do the least about their personal circumstances. A story here about society from the Confederation of British Industry. A CBI report on maximising the benefits of public spending shows how businesses and government should be working better together. Value Partnerships is its name, and it explores the use of social value in contracts between the public sector and private sector suppliers in the UK. The report argues that the piecemeal approach to social value so far has resulted in a confusing landscape for businesses and contracting authorities, 
and that clarity is needed to ensure the positive impacts of social value for communities and local economies are not lost because of this confusion. Social value can be most simply described as the activities that are carried out by a business, a charity or a social enterprise that helps support the long-term well-being of individuals, communities or even the whole nation. Whether it's focused on improving local employment or stimulating local economies, driving environmental protection or contributing to the health and well-being of people, amongst other things, social value can generate many significant benefits. And yet there's still room for improvement. As well as calling for an updated definition of social value, uh, as laid out in the Public Services Act of 2012, this new report is highlighting significant opportunities for making social value a key part of public procurement. And they include five key steps that the government could use right now to see immediate improvements. So those five changes are providing an updated definition of social value for public contracts, changing procurement policies to ensure social value is central to how government purchases its goods and its services and how they will benefit the whole of the UK. Giving officials buying goods and services for the public sector skills and training needed to use social value effectively. Sharing the best examples of social value to help drive good practice across the country. And balancing local and national priorities to improve the chances of social value delivering the best outcomes for communities and the country as a whole. This is difficult. This is a difficult challenge to articulate, especially when procurement teams are targeted on price first. It encourages a smash-and-grab approach to in-year savings and it can leave little energy or thought for much else. I welcome a broad use of the term value because it helps to show that supply chain managers are concerned with more than just volume discounts for bulk buying. In fact, if that's all they're doing, then they're suffering from a lack of imagination. The least they can do is add to the bottom line. They should be asking what else they can do, and adding social value to their commercial value is the next logical step. And the last story for today is on diversity from SIPS, the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply. Women hold a tenth of profit and loss executive roles. Only one in ten executive positions with PL responsibilities are currently held by women, according to a new report. The report by gender diversity consultancy The Pipeline found 90% of exec PL roles in FTSE 350 firms were held by men. Over two thirds, 68%, of FTSE 350 companies did not have a single female executive committee member in a PL role. In comparison, just 1% of firms had no men with PL responsibilities, the report says. This, the fifth annual study from the pipeline, analysed women executives, their roles in executive committees, and the impact on business performance in FTSE 350 companies. The research found firms with women taking at least a third of positions in its executive committee had a profit margin 10 times greater than those without. If the same firms all had 33% female membership on their executive committees, the UK economy would have gained an additional £47 billion in pre-tax profit. When the 2019-20 financial year closed, there were more FTSE 100 CEOs named Peter than female CEOs. Former UK Prime Minister Theresa May said firms must have a healthy pipeline of female talent running right through to succeed in getting women into senior leadership roles. This means identifying and removing barriers at every stage which prevent women from making progress in their careers 
and this needs buying from the top, she went on to say. Nikki Archer, Head of Procurement, Commercial Policy and Strategy at the Scottish Government, said that women sometimes lack self-belief and therefore don't put themselves forward for top jobs. Archer added, Know and compete on your own strengths rather than trying to compete on the strengths of others. And take the time to invest in your professional development, your networks and in your personal resilience. Topping up your glass so it's always at least half full helps retain positive energy and that when channeled correctly, it's infectious and will help get things done. Well, if anyone asks what you need to get ahead, clearly the answer is to be called Peter. Too few perspectives just creates insular thinking and keeping half your skills outside the boardroom is just being blinkered. So that's all from me now, until the next episode arrives. Feel free to subscribe, leave me a voice message, or drop me an email at adoxhalfhour at outlook.com. Let me know what's happening in your supply chains, and I'll let you know what's happening in mine. Take good care of yourselves, and may your roads rise to meet you.